Uh, if you have your Bibles, please open to Luke 18. And we will continue our trek through Luke. My name is Joel. I'm an elder here at this church. Uh, glad that you're here this morning. Is this going to work, Carl, or do I need to use the other mic since my voice is so quiet? You think it's going to be? All right, you just tell me. Well, while you uh, turn to Luke 18, let me talk for a moment about perseverance. Uh, in our day and age, perseverance is a rare character trait. Uh, you know it when you see it, but you don't see it often. In a day when many avoid or delay marriage, uh, we marvel at marriages that have lasted decades and half centuries. Uh, if you've ever run a company, the people that have been faithful to your company for years and years are the ones that are your favorite employees because they've persevered with you through the highs and the lows. You know, I've watched many, uh, this is especially true younger, when I was younger, but I watched many of my friends, they would go from a different friend group to a different friend group uh, every couple years or so. But those of us that have had friends that have lasted for years and have persevered with one another through their sins and their weaknesses, uh, those are much sweeter friendships than just the casual somebody that you've known for a year or so. It's common for a pastor to serve maybe five or ten years and move on, uh, but if you know a pastor or you've had the joy of having a pastor who's been there for many, many years, you know that there's a difference, that your pastor knows you in a different way than the pastor that's only been there for three years. Even in this church, those of us that have been here for years, there's a sweetness that comes with persevering with one another and long-suffering with one another that you don't get, and I would encourage you, uh, many of you are in college or you're younger, uh, wherever you end up, if you can end up in a church and be there for years and years and years, uh, that will be an incredible blessing to your soul and to your family's soul. Perseverance is rare, uh, but almost any time you hear any success story, any company growing and making it, any actor being successful, any marriage succeeding, a church being faithful for years, you're almost guaranteed to be able to find stories of perseverance. For instance, uh, everybody knows Disney. Everybody knows who Walt Disney is. He was turned down 302 times before he finally got financing. Colonel Sanders of KFC, he drove around the United States for two years trying to find restaurants to buy his chicken recipe, and he was turned down 1,009 times. And now there's hundreds of franchises selling his chicken. Well, God hasn't called most of us to create big, large companies, nor does something like that really matter in eternity. Mark 8.36 tells us, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit its soul? There are far more important things to persevere in than building a company. But the point that I'm trying to make is that nothing great will happen in this life without perseverance. Nothing lasting happens without it. And the Christian life that endures to the end is one of perseverance. And Jesus is going to teach us about persevering both in prayer and faith in Luke 18. So if you have your Bible, starting in verse 1, let's read Luke 18 together. And he, that's Jesus, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. It's very nice when your pastor gives you a passage to preach, and the point of the parable is the very first verse. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Verse 3, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, 
Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused. But afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now verse 8, Jesus is talking about, when the Son of Man comes back, will he find faith on earth? And if you remember from Josh's sermons the past few weeks, the end of chapter 17 has been talking about the kingdom of God. And I believe this section is the closing section of Jesus' end times teaching. So I'm going to quickly touch on some of the things that Josh has already touched on, but just to jog our memory, or maybe if you haven't, weren't here for those. But in verse 8, Jesus, chapter 18, Jesus is saying, If upon my turn will he find faith on earth? If you look back in chapter 17, verse 28, Jesus reminds us that Sodom was eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building, but then judgment came upon them quickly and destroyed them. And that's how it will be when the Son of Man is revealed. People will be going about their business, focused on normal worldly things. And then Jesus tells us to remember Lot's wife in verse 32. And whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. He's telling us not to turn your back and begin longing for the things of this world or you'll miss out and be unfit for the kingdom. Most of the time when I've heard this passage in Luke 18 taught, or even I've taught it myself, it's been void of the context of Luke 17. But without this context, Jesus' words in verse 8 just seem strange and out of place. Jesus is warning his disciples with many of these things in the previous verses, and he's asking them, when the Son of Man returns, are you going to be found trusting in him, or are you going to be like Lot's wife? Are you going to be persevering here on earth, or will you be persevering here, or will you be preserving your life only to lose it? And that is the question that Jesus is asking you today. Will you be found with faith when the Son of Man returns? And if that's the question he's asking you today, then the question you should be asking him is, how can, I preserve, how can I persevere to the end? How can I make sure that I'm found with faith? How can I not be like Lot's wife? How can I not be so focused on this life that I miss out on the eternal life? Did you notice back in Luke 17 when I read what Sodom, and Sodom was doing? They weren't doing Well, let me say this. Jesus doesn't mention the sins that they were doing, does he? None of the things that Jesus mentions there are Sodom's sin. Now, we know Sodom's sin greatly, and they were judged for it. But the things that Jesus tells us, he says they were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting and building. Those things in and of themselves are not evil. If you've read your Bible, you know Sodom's sins 
were great and wicked, and yet Jesus doesn't bring them up here. We know that they were judged for their sodomy, for their great wickedness that Elijah recounts in his book, but they were also judged because of their everyday activities. They were godless in them. And this is the truth that I believe our church really needs to understand. John Piper says it this way. He says, The good things in life can make us just as insensitive to the reality of God as the gross things in life can. Can the wicked, immoral sin make you insensitive to God? Of course it can. Can the good things in life, your job, your family, your friends, your schooling, your spouse, your kids, your hobbies, can they make you insensitive to the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Our church has grown in maturity over the years. Do we have lots of growth that's still needed? Absolutely, of course. We have tons of room to grow, but at the same time, we can acknowledge that God has done some maturing up of the men and women here in pretty significant ways. And as Christians grow in maturity, and some of maybe the more grotesque sins that they used to deal with have been put away and dealt with, one of the great temptations that most Christians will run into is letting the good things distract them from God. There was a great battle for your heart, and Satan isn't dumb. He may have cheered when you were enslaved with vile sins years ago, but now that you're no longer sucked into that sin, his plan will often shift and enslave you to distract you with the good, the eating, the drinking, the buying, the selling, your hobbies, your 401k, your investment, your side hustle, your caring and discipline of your kids, your home improvement projects, your kids' sports, your kids' schooling, professional advancements, working hard and being successful at work, being a great wife or husband, father, mother, or friend. All these things can be wonderful gifts to strive after, and they can be blessings from God, but they can very easily distract you and tempt you and blunt you to be sensitive to God. So ask yourself this question. Has your zeal and passion for the Lord diminished over the years? Have the cares of this world thrown a wet blanket over the fire that once burned deep in your soul for God? Were you more passionate about God five years ago than you are now? Maybe it's not that your love and care for God, for God is completely gone. That's not what I'm saying. But if you're honest with yourself, does it seem like it's diminished some? Why is that? What has caused that? For many, it's not terribly wicked, secret sin that you're walking around deceiving everybody in. For some, for many, it will end up being the good things in life that distract you from Christ and His kingdom. So the question is, what can we do about it? What are we able to do so we don't end up like Lot's wife, so we're not found with no faith when the Son of Man returns, trying to preserve this life only to lose the next. Well, Jesus gives us the answer in verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. If you're going to persevere to the end, if you're going to be found with faith, you have to pray. There is no other way. In one sense, it's an incredibly simple answer. The person who prays will endure to the end. 
but we know from experience that it's not an easy thing to do. And Jesus knows that it's not an easy thing for you to do. Or else he wouldn't have been telling his disciples this very thing. Now that should be incredibly comforting to you. When you read verse 1, it should comfort you greatly that Jesus is telling you this parable. Because why is he telling you this? Because Jesus knows that you need help persevering in prayer. He knows you lose heart and you give up praying. He knows you lack faith and you stop believing Him. For those of you who are awful at praying, Jesus knows and He's written these words for you. So if you're going to get better at prayer, you have to be honest with yourself and you have to ask yourself, why do I fail to endure at prayer and why do I lose heart? Why are you bad at persevering in prayer? Well, your unbelief in God is a primary reason. If you understood and really believe what Jesus is about to tell you, then you wouldn't have an issue losing heart and forgetting to pray. But you struggle and fail to believe it, and so this is why you struggle and you pray. And you have to be able to admit that to yourself. You have to be able to admit that you have unbelief and you lack faith And that is at the core of your prayerlessness. If you don't admit that, you can't repent of that. And if you won't repent of that, then how are you ever supposed to overcome that? It does no good to pretend that you have some great belief and faith in God if you're not praying consistently. Because your your prayerlessness is the very evidence of your unbelief. And if a preacher won't tell you that and only sympathizes with you, about how it's hard to endure in prayer, but never tells you that it's your unbelief in God that drives your prayerlessness, then he's a fool who doesn't actually care about you. He's like a doctor who won't tell you what's actually wrong with you because you don't, want, because you don't know what's actually wrong and you can't actually address the real health problems in your body. If you really understood the power of prayer and if you understood the character of God, you would never lose heart and you would be praying consistently. Every one of you should be like a man in Mark 9 who wants Jesus to heal his demon-possessed son. And Jesus says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And the man replies, I believe. Help my unbelief. Make that a constant prayer of yours. I believe God, but help my unbelief. I believe what your word says in these verses. But God, I know there's parts of me that still don't fully believe this. Please help my unbelief and ask, for God, ask the God of grace for more faith. It is a prayer He will never refuse. So I ask this question, how are you going to endure to the end? And how are you going to be found with faith when the Son of Man comes? And Jesus answers the question. He says to pray. And He gives this parable in verse 2. Jesus said in verse 2, In a certain city... There was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, but because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. A few quick things to mention about this story. 
the idea is that this widow is coming because she has no one else to help her. She's lost her husband. She's out there on, on her own looking for justice, and it's pretty much hopeless for her in this situation. She's totally dependent on the judge's character to act in her favor. She doesn't have a lawyer to fight on her behalf. She is all she has to defend herself, and she keeps coming to the judge over and over and over again. And for a while, the judge just ignores her. He refuses to help her. He's not concerned about her. I mean, he doesn't fear God, so he feels no moral pressure to actually help this woman out. He doesn't really care if she's been wronged, and he's not concerned what other people in the town think of him or what she thinks about him. All he cares about is himself. And he refuses for a while, but then finally, because she keeps bothering him, he decides to act on her behalf. She has annoyed this man and beaten him down so much that he's going to give her justice just so she'll leave him alone. She's like the kid in Target who is screaming and wailing and asking 16 million times if he can buy a toy from his parent. And he's resorted to screaming and the whole store knows that he wants this toy. And finally the parent just they just, break, they just break down and they give in. They don't want the kid bothering him anymore. It's not that they think the kid deserves it. They just, just, stop, just stop talking, we'll buy the toy. And I'm sure you're all perfect parents and have never given in to your children's terroristic demands. But this is how the woman has acted and she has worn out the judge so completely that he's just going to do it so she'll stop bothering him. Now, I've heard and I even taught that the point of this parable is that we should be like the woman and we should pester God with our prayers. You should constantly be bringing your request to God. Like the woman is constantly bringing her request to God to this unrighteous judge. But that's not really the point of the parable. I'm not saying that consistently bringing your request to God is a bad thing and you shouldn't do that. That's not what I'm saying. But the main point of the parable is in the contrast between this parable and what your reality is. Many pastors have made the point that you're like the widow. You're poor, you're needy, so you call out to God. And that's true in a sense, but I don't think that's what the point of the parable is right now. You are in need of God, but I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to get at at this moment. Look at what he says in verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? The whole point of this parable is, one, God is not like the unrighteous judge. And two, you are nothing like the poor helpless widow. Instead, you are God's elect. You are chosen by God. You have favor that God has set upon you. You are not the widow who has lost her husband, who has no other family to care for her. Maybe she's been abandoned by her extended family. That is not you at all if you are a Christian. You are an adopted son and a daughter of the Most High God, and your God is not like the unrighteous judge, who doesn't care about anyone but himself. Instead, your God passionately cares for you. You don't have to wear God down with your prayers for him to get to you to notice you, to finally 
give in to whatever you want. That's not the point. You can pray to God consistently, knowing He hears you every single time that you call to Him. I used to think that if, God, if I wanted God to answer a prayer, I had to pray about it enough, and then maybe finally God would move because I've just pestered Him enough. But that is not the point of this parable. Of course, there will be things that you spend your life praying about. You've prayed for your children over and over and over again. I'm not saying you won't pray about things many, many times, but I am saying that you don't have to worry about making sure you pray enough or else God's not going to hear you and answer you. You don't have to worry that you, you only prayed about it 99 times and if you would have had enough faith and prayed about it 100 times, you finally would have wore God down and He would have answered you. God hears every single prayer that you pray to Him. And Jesus says, will not God give justice to the elect who cry to him day and night? The rhetorical answer is, of course he will. He won't delay long over them, he says. If you understand this reality, and you have faith in this, you will not lose heart. You lose heart when you're wondering and wondering, did God, did I pray about this enough? Did God really hear me? Does he really care? When you know that God hears you, and you don't have to weather whether you prayed the correct number of times to get him to answer you, and you know he promises to give justice to his elect, then you're free to endure, calling to him day and night, knowing that he won't delay. We ask the question, how do we persevere and have faith in the end? How do we not get lost in the cares of this world? How do we not be like Lot's wife? And Jesus gives us the answer. He tells us to pray and not lose heart. One pastor said, Faith is the furnace of our lives. Faith is the furnace of our lives. Its fuel is the grace of God. And the divinely appointed shovel for feeding the burner is prayer. If you lose heart and lay down the shovel, the fire will go out, and you will grow cold and hard. And when the lightning flashes from sky to sky and the Son of Man appears in glory, he will spew you out of your mouth. Remember Luke 17, two will be sleeping, one will be taken, the other left, and the test will be if you persevered with faith by prayer and did not lose heart. It's not about your church attendance or how moral moral you are. Your kindness and your hospitality are not enough to save you. It's not that you've stopped doing one wicked sin a long time ago and you prayed a prayer, you prayed a prayer and then you were baptized. But will you be found with faith in the last day? Now let me warn you, prayer does not save you. You don't get to heaven because you were good at praying or because you pray a certain amount of times per week. You are saved by the grace of God through faith, and that faith is a gift of God. But if you have real faith, you will pray. If you're not praying and your faith has gone cold, let me exhort you to cry out to God today for a renewed zeal. Pray for faith. And remember what God has told you about himself. He is not like the unrighteous judge. He hears his elect every time. Maybe you're not a Christian, and this is God 
calling to you to come to Him and repent of your sins and to trust in Christ to forgive you of your sins. And I would love to talk to you about that. But maybe you're like so many who have been caught up in the things like Sodom, busy eating, busy buying, busy planting, good things, but distracted by things of real importance. Maybe the fire that used to have for God has gone cold. Cry out to God to renew that fire. How terrible is it for, a spirit, for the Spirit to pull someone out of such vile sins only to see them get trapped by the cares of this world? Remember, God put this parable in here because He understands that you struggle with prayer and that you lose heart. He put it in here to remind you that you are His child and He is a good God, not like the unrighteous judge, who is always there to hear the elect. Stand with me for prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you hear every single prayer of your children. And though we often think that you're delaying, and though it's not, your answers are not as quickly as we might like them, we know that your word says you do not delay. We know the time with you, the day with you is a thousand years. You are not slow as the, as the world judges slowness. And we trust you in this. God, I pray that you would help us, that you would renew a spirit in us that longs for you, that loves and delights in you. Maybe for many, God, there are those in here that have seen their passion for you dwindle over the years. I pray that you would help us renew a, a love for you that you would continue to grow our faith. That as we grow in years, our faith would not become smaller but bigger. Our love for you would be greater. Help us remember the truth of this parable. Thank you that we do not have to be like the widow. We aren't abandoned. We don't have an unrighteous judge in heaven who doesn't care about us. Instead, we are your children who you delight in and love and love to hear prayer and love to answer. Help us persevere to the end. Help us be found with faith when the Son of Man comes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to...